Father God, we just thank you and praise you for the opportunity that we are able to get together this morning through Skype. That to enjoy your words, to be comfort, to be instructed, and uh, also to allow us to think deeper into uh, the words you are going to be share with us. And we thank you for James' diligence to share uh, his study with us on a weekly basis that inevitably strengthen our faith, strengthen our understanding, and increasing our appreciation for what you have done for us. And we just really thank you and praise you. There are many things going on in this world, not just recently, but throughout the history. And we know that Satan has been the one to drive all chaos and tempt many people, whether believers or non-believers. And it's a difficult time for certain. But we just pray that you always keep, keep our focus on you, on the Lord, and enjoy the presence of Holy Spirit within us. Knowing that because of that, we are part of your family. We are adopted into uh, your kingdom, that so we can share that uh, grace uh, with others, whether uh, they are believers or even non-believers, and through the opportunity, we may be able to share the good news with them. Father, there are many, many unspoken requests and you know our heart, and we just praise you for uh, Christ's constant intersection in our life to speak for our need. Although <laughs> most of the time we don't even know our needs, we request for our wants. But you know us, and I understand that you want us to uh, learn more about you. So just ask you to open our eyes, to further open our eyes, to help us to understand. And so we may be able to uh, comfort and to encourage uh, others. Father, thank you for the opportunity for me to pray for everyone. And this is difficult time indeed. But I believe difficult time has been going on since the beginning. Uh, even when Paul was preaching the gospel, and their newly invented Judaism has penetrated to influence a lot of teachings. Um, so we just need to keep that in mind. Uh, Satan never let loose his influence on us. Uh, we just need to believe in your word and hold on to it and share that with others who have no experience or uh, still blind. And thank you, Father. And uh, we just um, pray that Jim uh, will have a clear message to deliver to us. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much. Lewis, for that, I especially was moved by the first thing you said in your prayer, which was that uh, we need to offer the good news. And so many times we're thinking about the bad news, aren't we? Because other people are sharing that. And that's uh, what we hear. And, of course, that gives us an opening, if only we would realize it, to share the good news, which is what everyone needs to hear and what that good news is all about and how it always focuses on our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're learning here in uh, our studies these days in the letter to the Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans dispensationally considered. 
And the reason why we've gone so long now into this subject of the gospel in the stars is because Paul, in a number of places, refers to it. And so how can we not spend time on it? We really must. And so today we'll finish that study. And <laughs> it would take much longer to do it thoroughly. I'm certainly not intending to do that, <clears throat> just uh, the highlights. But uh, we are going to continue that today. And I pray that you will have open ears and patience. We will do some repetition, as always, on the things that I've considered most important, the things that should never be forgotten. And so one thing that uh, should be true of all of you, all of those that hear now or later through the uh, Internet, is that certain scriptures are transforming. They're pivotal. They're, they're absolutely crucial for our understanding and without understanding them, we're uh, at a great loss. We have great trouble understanding the word of God if we don't understand those key scriptures. So we're going to look again at some of those today. And I'll add a little bit more than I have before just to make it even clearer as to what uh, is written there. Now, what we have done is to look at the witness in the stars, and we've looked at the first book. So, so if you look at the 12, there are 12 so-called um, signs in the heavenly revelation, 12 signs called the zodiac in ancient times. That just means step by step. It's the path of the sun across the heavens. Of course, the sun in the daytime covers up the uh, constellations and the uh, the signs. But at night, it's that path that the sun was on that has the revelation of God still recorded in some fashion. Now, Satan has done his best to completely eradicate it, but he has really quite significantly failed. And if you do have opportunity to read, you can get it online if you look hard enough for it. But uh, Bullinger's commentary uh, on this is called The Witness in the Stars. I just ordered another copy because I think my copy is, is lost <laughs> forever, probably loaned out to someone. That's what happens to some of the books. We forget who we gave them to, right? <laughs> Cannot get them back. So I've just ordered another copy. You can order them. Uh, hardbound is pretty expensive, but paperback is not. And what we see there in the constellations is that each sign, so there are three books, three div main divisions. Each division has four signs, so four times three, 12 altogether. And then in each of those signs, there are three constellations that are highlighted there, okay? So that's 36 constellations altogether. Each of those have many stars. The stars have the names that have meanings. Those are the names that God gave. Some of those meanings, many of them have been lost down through the course of time. Some remain, some in the Hebrew, some in uh, other ancient languages, uh, and some in their Arabic translations. Okay, so there's still a lot of knowledge there as to what those stars mean as, as God sees them, and therefore as we should also see them today, if only we had the full revelation still available, right? The first book... So there are three books, you could say, three main divisions. The first book is all about the first coming of Christ, the Redeemer and his sufferings. The second book is about the redeemed. So that's the work of Christ and its fruit. So the redeemed. 
And the third book is on the second coming of the Redeemer and the glory that will then be brought to earth. First the judgment and then the glory. So those are the the three divisions in the heavenly revelation. And we looked last time at the first book and the first sign, which was Virgo, and the first constellation in Virgo. Because that's the beginning of the revelation. And what is it about? But the promise of the coming seed of the woman, of the virgin. Virgo, meaning virgin, or virga, which is a slightly different spelling, referring to the basket of uh, of fruit, basically, whether wheat or something else, the blessing, in other words, that would come through the seed of the woman. And we looked at that last time, and uh, today we'll go beyond that. I will pick one sign out of the second book and one constellation and one sign or in two constellations out of the third book today to finish up our review. Now, before we go to that, it's all about the seed of the woman. You see, that was Genesis chapter 315 uh, gives us that earliest proclamation just after Adam's fall. The Lord God said, have hope, Adam, for this is my promise to you. Now, the promise involved much trial, much suffering for Adam and all of his descendants. And yet, the one who in the end, who will be defeated, is Satan himself, okay? The serpent there, Genesis 3.15. And though the serpent would be allowed to wound only the feet, of the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman will harm the head of the evil one. In fact, he'll bring total destruction ultimately to him in God's appointed timing, but but only the foot, as it's put there, will be harmed in the seed. In other words, in our Lord himself, in his incarnation. So that is... The beginning of the revelation in Genesis is also the beginning in the witness in the stars. And so it's all about the Lord coming to this earth as the one, the only one who could ever pay the full penalty for our sins and therefore bring redemption to sinners. He's the only one. We we went to Revelation 19.10, where that's stated so clearly. I'll read that, Revelation 19.10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren which that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. There's another verse that says something quite similar. It's in the beginning, in the first chapter in John's Gospel. John chapter 1, verse 18. And uh, I'd like Lydia, Lydia to read this. It's a verse that we should never forget. And it's so very, very important. Basically says what the whole of God's revelation to man is about. and. Uh, Lydia, would you please read for us John chapter 1, verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Thank you, Lydia. So many people talk about seeing God and, uh, you know, all of this. And uh, even in the scripture, you find revelations uh, of God appearing to men. But uh, what John chapter 1 says is that all of those had to be the pre-incarnate Son of God. Because as he says right here so clearly, no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, 
which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. He's the one that manifests him. So God the Father does not appear to anyone, only God the Son. Okay, so that's uh, the way it is in the revelation in the heavens and in the revelation uh, given verbally through prophets and teachers here and apostles to mankind uh, down through the beginning, from the beginning of time. But God's truth was declared in the creation itself. We read about that. Now, um, it was 2,500 years. Now, that is quite a period of time. 2,500 years before the first written revelation was given to a prophet to be put on paper or papyrus or or stone uh, by uh, by Moses seemed to be the first 2,500 years though before that revelation was given. So how did God reveal Himself to us in all those years? It was in the heavenly revelation. Now we looked at a couple of scriptures. I'm not going to go to them again now. One was in Luke. One was in Matthew which is a parallel, uh, and one was in the book of Acts, chapter 3. And in those different references, the key words were used, since the world began. So things were revealed. Truth was revealed since the world began. Now, commentators ignore this. Why? Why do they ignore what's so evidently uh, written here in God's word? Paul doesn't ignore it. In fact, he's very bold to state it. And Paul also writes about what wasn't revealed back then, what was kept secret, right? We mentioned that again last time. But I want to read for you uh, from Romans chapter 10 and then a couple of other scriptures. I don't want us ever to forget these. That's why we keep focusing on them here. But Romans 10 is absolutely key to understanding all of this. Romans 10, where Paul interprets a psalm, Psalm 19, in fact, is what he's referring to, as we've seen before, right? So Romans chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the end of the world. So Paul is drawing an analogy. Now, <clears throat> today we wonder what in the world is he talking about? We read these words in Romans and think, well, this doesn't make any sense. There is no sound that goes over the whole earth except the gospel. If some missionary goes there, right? And so that's what uh, interpreters uh, claim that Paul is writing about right here. But what Paul is doing is nearly quoting verbatim from Psalm 19, okay? And Psalm 19 is much more detailed as to a revelation that God had given in the heavenlies, right? And uh, so that's what Paul is referring to in Romans 10. And he's, he's saying simply that those that read this letter he's writing to the Romans would know something about this. If they didn't, they would be in the dark totally, right? So they would know something about this because 2,000 years ago nearly, a lot more was known about the revelation in the heavens than is known today, right? Because Satan has continued to confuse the message all along through history, right? Trying to blot it out altogether. But back then they still had enough that Paul could write about it and he did. He also spoke about it uh, on Mars Hill, you remember, when he quoted from two different Greek poets, each one of which wrote about the revelation in the heavens. Most important being Aratus, who was the patron poet, actually, of the city of Tarsus, which was where Paul was born and raised. So Paul knew all about Eratus. Now, it's still preserved. One of book, Eratus's books is all about the heavenly revelation. It's very detailed. It goes into constellations, their names, the star names, 
the sign names and so forth as the Greeks understood it. And much of it is still true to the original revelation, it seems, because the message is consistent in it, and it's all about the coming seed of the woman. So Paul is referring back to that because that was the background of the uh, Gentile view of the world. It wasn't only the Gentiles that had this revelation, of course. The Persians had it, the Indians, uh, the Arabs, they all had access to this. And if you think about it, in those days, you didn't have light pollution, so every night they saw it. Just think about that. We rarely see it as they saw it. Uh, if you go on the top of a mountain, you may see it uh, <laughs> much better than down in the city, right? Okay, hopefully you all have had opportunity to see the heavens revealed in all of their glory. And in the very center, across the center, is what? The, uh, the revelation we're talking about here, at least the star part of that and the planets. So Paul is referring back to Psalm 19, which uh, I have to read, okay? Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Now you know something more, maybe a lot more, about what that means. How did the heavens declare the glory of God? It wasn't just through a beautiful sunset or sunrise or something like that, or the brilliance of a, of a planet or... Uh, something unusual like a conjunction of planets where the two come very closely together or or the brightness of the sun itself or what the sunlight produces here on Earth uh, as far as agriculture is concerned. No, that's not what this is talking about because the next verse says, day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. And then the, the verses that Paul referred to, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has got, gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man, man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. So from one end to the other, the uh, heavenly panoply stretches across the sky, and in that is this revelation found. Okay. Well, clearly, no human would understand any of it, because there are no words printed on neon signs up there, uh, if it were not also revealed to chosen people who the Lord would then use to propagate it down through gen the generations. And tradition, therefore, was a valued, essential, really, part of this. And that began with Adam, or if not Adam, with, with Abel, who was uh, martyred because of it. And then others like Enoch and so forth, um, Think of Job, for example. Job writes many pages about the heavenly revelation in his great book. So there you are. Um, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. That's a wonderful psalm. Paul refers to this in other places, and that's how we got into this in the first place. Remember in Romans chapter 1, He's writing about the heavens, and he says, and the glory of God. And he says, for therein, this is verse 17 of Romans 1, therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against. Okay, so here are the things that are revealed. Well, those things are all revealed in the heavenly witness, right? They're not revealed just by a beautiful sunset. So I think all of us have to understand this. If we don't, we're missing out on what Paul is writing about here at the beginning of the letter to the Romans. And then in verse 20, he says, 
the invisible things of him from the creation of the world. What invisible things? Concerning his righteousness, concerning his judgment, and how that all are held accountable. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Okay. From faith to faith. So faith was required back then. Faith is required now. What the faith has to attach itself to is the revealed truth of God. And so God revealed his truth today, and he revealed his truth in Old Testament times, and he revealed his truth before Old Testament times, from the beginning, just after Adam's fall and Eve's transgression. Okay, so all are held accountable because God has revealed himself. Nobody can point to God and say, well, if you're really there and you really are holding us accountable, why didn't you uh, make it clear? Nobody dare accuse God of that failure. That's what Paul is saying. Now, how did he do it? He gave the stars names which had meanings. And we read of that in Psalm 147 and in Isaiah 40. I'm not going to read the verses again. Let me go back and look at the notes and read the whole context. You'll see it so clearly stated there. Okay, and many of those names, as I've said several times, are still available. They've been passed down through history. There were ancient astronomers uh, everywhere and also astrologers, the astronomers, and the astrologers were the same group <laughs> for most of human history, okay? And many of them really did have a knowledge of those original names, and they actually wrote about it. And amazingly, as far back as even the first century, uh, some uh, of those documents still exist today. Many documents from the year say 1100, 1200, and so forth, A.D. So that's what we find there. Now, I want us to look again quickly at Genesis, because Paul refers back to Genesis. And what happened there to this man named Abram? Gail, I want you to read Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 through 6. These are verses we must never forget. Gail? And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Thank you, Gail. So as I've said before, and this is critical to know, that Hebrew word translated tell is also translated later in the same verse, a few words later, with the English word number. And it doesn't mean count them up to see how many there are. It means give me the order of them, Abram. And so what the Lord God said was, look, and so tell me now what's revealed there, one step at a time. Remember the word zodiac means step by step. And what does he say to him? He says, Come on, Abram, you know all about this. Tell me what's written. Tell me what the message in the stars is. And then he says, so shall thy seed be. In other words, he made it personal for Abram. Abram was just asking the Lord for something. And we're going to have Brenda read those verses uh, in a moment. But so this is the Lord's response to Abram's question. Interesting, huh? Abram had an earthly perspective, not a heavenly one. And so he asks an earthly question. What it says here in verse 6 is that when Abram took it personally, it says he believed the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. So Abram's personal faith, seeing himself and his offspring reflected in the heavenly revelation, in other words, that part of it, in other words, the Lord God was going to use him to fulfill the promises that were written in the heavens. 
That is what changed Abram's life forever. Okay? And uh, so, Brenda, read read to us verses 1 through 4 just so we see what it was that Abraham was focused on and how the Lord's response is uh, very interesting indeed, considering that. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the, the steward of my house is this Eliziar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Thank you. Uh... Brenda, okay, so you see, Abram has an earthly perspective. He has no offspring, and that's what he is now telling the Lord. You must give me, I sure hope you do, because the Lord has just said to Abram in verse 1, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Be satisfied, fear not, Abram. And Abram's response is out of Line with that entirely, he says, but wait a minute, <laughs> apparently not entirely out of line with it because the Lord did intend to give him offspring as he, he now learns, right? That had been part of the uh, heavenly gift down through those 2,500 years, okay? Uh, since Adam's fall, which is that God had said, go forth and multiply, right? Okay. So that's the context of the Lord's response then when he says to Abram here, tell what's in the heaven there revealed, and that's how thy seed will be. In other words, Abram, your offspring will come to be and be right in the center of the redemptive plan of Almighty God. Isn't that just astounding when you understand it that way? And that's how we must understand it. And that's why Paul then goes back in Romans to quote these verses, basically, uh, at least the so shall thy seed be, because Abraham, because the author of faith, because his faith is based on the word of God itself and that alone and taking God at his word in saving faith. Okay, praise the Lord. So now you understand what this is all about so very, very well. Now, in the few remaining moments, I want to finish commenting on the details that are in the gospel in the star's revelation. Okay, we already looked at the first part sufficiently. That is, the first part is the message concerning his coming. In other words, the first coming, first coming of the seed of the woman, right? The second part is the message concerning the suffering of the seed of the woman, of our Lord, his suffering, and the fruit that comes forth as a result of his suffering. And the third part is concerning the second coming of the seed of the woman and his total victory. Okay, so those are the three parts of the heavenly revelation, and each of those three parts have, as I said before, four signs, and each sign three constellations. So there's a wealth of actual revelation given through the names given to all given to all of these stars. And don't forget that that's where the revelation is. It's in the names. It's in the names because there are words, and those words have names. And the uh, the ones that the Lord singled out, whether that be Abel or others, right, Enoch and others, uh, they were given the uh, the signs, uh, and these diagrams were somewhat arbitrary, but they were the ones given to these 
individuals so that people would have an easier time remembering it all. So every night when they looked up, they'd say, oh, there's Scorpio and there's uh, the crux or the cross and there's the virgin and here's the dragon and here's the Taurus, the bull and so forth. Okay. They all had their meanings and those meanings were critical for each one to understand in order to take God at his word and therefore to be saved. So this was the gospel in the stars, indeed. Now, what God gave to his prophets later to be written down that we still have available today were additions, were additional details, were were words to put around the same basic truths that had been revealed before, but oftentimes they would have a specific relevance to the nation of Israel because, of course, Israel was then called out out of the Gentiles and set forth as God's chosen people, right? And so all of that revelation is specific to Israel and its future and how ultimately Israel will be the tool, the vehicle for the salvation of the nations too, of the Gentiles also, and that would come in the tribulation period and in the kingdom. Okay, so there's much revelation about all of that, but I'm just going to read one verse here that illustrates the meaning behind that first sign in Virgo and the first constellation there as well. This is Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. It's not the Lord our all-powerful, it's the Lord our righteousness. So you see the personal uh, implication there. So that's just an example. Now, the brightest star in that sign and in that constellation, the brightest star is, still we still know the name of it, it is Al-Zimach, the Hebrew would be Zimach, and that means the branch. And so now you know why there are four different prophecies, two in Zechariah, one in Isaiah, and this one in Jeremiah, I've just read, that all mentions the branch. You would think branch, what does it have to do with the redemptive plan of God, right? A branch? Well, because it goes back to the original revelation in the heavenlies. And so that's uh, enough uh, regarding what we saw before, and I stopped last time with a reference to what? The star of Bethlehem. The star of Bethlehem. Even in human history, it is recorded. Uh, Even in the first century, there's a writing about it, and uh, in later centuries, more writings about it, about those that actually saw this star, that led the shepherds and wise men and so forth to the right place there in Bethlehem, right? And that was clearly something new. It was not something that had been there all along. And it was something that uh, in some way could lead them if they were knowledgeable enough of the witness in the heavens, which they were, because these wise men were clearly more than just shepherds or uh, people of some considerable knowledge uh, in their day, but they actually had astronomical knowledge too. And so that star was prophesied in uh, the written revelation to God, uh, given by God in Numbers 24, 17. You remember that it was the Lord's word given to Balaam, right? Who was given prophetic knowledge. And these were those words, Numbers 24, 17. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. 
So the message in the stars was all about that also, but here then was a written revelation too, which these uh, others, even though they were Gentiles, might have known something about, but they already had enough revelation in the heavenlies uh, to know what to do when they saw the star of Bethlehem. And so that's enough there. Now, also in that first sign and the second and the third, the first book, there's a complete preview of the whole redemptive plan of God from the beginning to end, from the giving of the seed to the judgment at the end and the blessings and the sacrifice of the seed of the woman uh, in the middle of the two, in between the beginning and the end. And Isaiah 53 is written about that. In fact, one of the uh, stars, in fact, many of the stars there in in that uh, sign uh, have similar meanings and despised is one of the key meanings. And it's found uh, in the names of stars that are in Hebrews, names of stars that are in Arabic and in uh, other languages as well there, still recorded historically. The despised is the very one, of course, who became our savior. And Isaiah 53.3 is all about that. I'd like Patty to read that for us, Isaiah 53. You see how central this word despised is. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So the emphasis is on how he, the one without sin, the one who is perfect, the one without a blemish, he was despised and rejected by men, and they did not esteem him. Uh, Another name for the same constellation in Hebrew, Asmiath, means sin offering. And the Greek name of of it was Chiron, which means the pierced the pierced. And so there you have it. Okay. So the written revelation corresponds to the heavenly revelation. And that's enough about the first book. So the first book gives us through four signs. First of all, the prophecy of the coming seed. Secondly, the Redeemer's great work. Thirdly, the Redeemer's conflict and suffering. And fourthly, the prophecy's fulfillment with the judgment of all those that are not saved. Then that brings us to the second of the third sections in the heavenly revelation, and that specifically focuses on the suffering aspect and the fruit that comes from that. So this is really the heart of the redemptive plan of God here in the second section. And there are four signs, Capricornus, Aquarius, Pisces, and Aries. And I'm going to focus now for a moment only on Aquarius, the sign of Aquarius. Aquarius was the water bearer carrying large containers out of which was poured, what, rivers of living water. Hmm. (laughs) What a focus on good news that would have been for those dominated by sin and death, right? As all of mankind were, right? That there would be hope that somehow through the seed of the woman, uh, there would be a flow of cleansing, healing water that would bring eternal blessing. And that's what Aquarius signified. All of the stars of those three constellations that make up this sign speak of water and the pouring out of water and the overflowing of its blessedness. All of their names (laughs) reflect that. And there are a great many stars there. Uh, I don't have the number right now, but I think it's uh, a hundred or something like that. Bullinger in his book gives the, the total number. 
So the teaching then of the whole sign of Aquarius is clear and complete. We're left in no doubt if we know anything about the star names and their meanings, right? And so by the atoning death of the seed of the woman, he's purchased unspeakable blessings for the redeemed. And Aquarius tells of those blessings being poured forth, his speedy return to bring the rivers of blessing and to fill the earth with blessing and glory as, quote, the waters cover the sea. <laughs> That's yet ahead and clearly revealed in the heavenly witness. Then the final of the three sections of the heavenly witness is all about his total victory. It's all about the Redeemer, his second coming, and his completed victory. So not only what went before, but the glory that would follow ultimately, right? This is the end of the story. We've already seen the beginning of the story and the midpoint. Now we see the end. And that's uh, close to where we are today, if only we knew it, right? There are four signs here in this third section. First of all, Taurus, Taurus, the bull. That speaks of coming judgment. Then Gemini speaks of the Redeemer's reign in glory. Thirdly, Cancer speaks of the Redeemer's position, finally, in safety. And finally, Leo, Leo the last of the twelve signs, the prophecy of triumph fulfilled. And that's where we get to the concluding portion of the heavenly revelation. There's no more sorrow. There's no more suffering. No more conflict. No more bruising of the heel of the Redeemer. No more suffering of God's people. <clears throat> Due to outrageous fortune, you might say, as Shakespeare wrote, that's all past. The sufferings of Christ are over. <clears throat> and now the glory that would follow is revealed. No more reference to his first coming and humiliation. Excuse me. <clears throat> no more coming forth to suffer and die, to be a sacrifice for sins. The only reference now in the last portion is on his second coming in glory. His coming unto his unto the earth is not to suffer for sin, but to come in power to judge the earth in righteousness and to subdue every enemy under his feet. Praise the Lord for his ultimate victory. Now, our salvation could never have been accomplished apart from all that has been revealed, right? Even though what Paul writes about in the mystery revelation is about special blessings that are heavenly that come to all of us. But the earth and its people will be blessed, and that is yet future. And <clears throat> this is all part of the good news, of course, given not only in witness re revelation, but in the witness of the stars. So that brings us to the end of the story. <clears throat> end of my voice, too, it seems, right? So praise the Lord for the Lord of glory and grace that, and that our eyes have been opened. That's the greatest miracle of all that we have actually experienced, right? That our eyes have been opened, our hearts softened, and the blindness removed so that we may know of our high calling in Christ Jesus. Praise his name for his abundant grace. And thanks be to him for his unspeakable gift and for his sacrifice sufficient for all of our sins. May we be the lights and instruments always of his truth and saving power. To God be the glory great things he 
has done. Next week, Lord Blessing, the letter to the Romans, dispensationally considered, chapter 5. Please read that over time and time again. It's quite a remarkable revelation that we need to take to heart in our days. So enjoy the Lord all, and uh, if there are any comments uh, or uh, questions, this would be the time. Well, Jim, I just want to thank you because I never knew that the the names of the stars in the constellation actually had meaning, like you know, propitiation, or well, I, right. I knew Aquarius was water bearer, but I mean, that's how you know. In addition to just the splendor of them and like the awesomeness of them, right? It speaks to a creator, right. but God, in addition you know, named them. And that's, uh, that makes sense that that's why he says he named each one of them. Well, because right. he was telling the story of his redemption. And I never knew that. So thank you so much for going so deep and sharing, sharing with us. Thank you. Well, I hope it wasn't too boring with the, the often repetition, but I, I felt like these things are so important. We really need to, to know more. <laughs> thank you, Brenda. Not boring, not boring at all. Not at all. And I didn't spend as much time on the witness in the stars as I did on the scriptures that referred to them because those scriptures are absolute and final, whereas everything else, human history has to tell us a lot, right? Uh, and it's faulty uh, many times too, right? But uh, the word of God speaks truth always. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you again. Thank you for the revelation you've given and thank you that Satan has not been allowed to to destroy everything else and make it into a mere uh, mythological or astrological account, as he surely wanted to do, because that was his goal all along. And it's his goal now, we know, Father, and we just thank you that you've preserved the word, because we would have nothing today except a perverted word if it weren't for uh your work in preserving what was originally given to the prophets, to the apostles, and to those you chose out even from the beginning of the world to receive your truth and to share it with others even though their lives were often at stake as they did so. And if only we knew how many Mars there were, we would be astounded. We would be astounded. And praise your name for all those that have gone before, upon whose shoulders we still stand today. So, Father, thank you, and may we always stand on their shoulders as we find your word written here. And uh, may you be the glory, Father. Great, great things you have done. Please give us uh, boldness to speak with others this precious truth. In Christ's name I pray, and and amen. Amen. Well, enjoy the Lord, all. Enjoy the Lord. Uh, the Lord is still active, just as before, and we are at the very center of his work. Enjoy the Lord, all. <laughs>